So this morning we're starting a new series called Emmanuel. We're going to work it through some Isaiah um, passages. Now, I'm not the Isaiah expert at all. But we're going to look through a few Isaiah passages and, um, and, ha- and see how it points to Christmas. This morning we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. One verse. And I, I searched how many guys, I searched out there to see if any guys preached on the virgin birth. I'll probably say virgin in this particular time together 50 plus times. If you have to answer the question when you get home, I'm sorry. What's virgin mean, mom? What's virgin mean, dad? Um, So I've tried to figure out another way to say it, and I will take suggestions right now. We can have open forum. What's a better way to say it? But essentially what happens is if you go out and try to listen to messages or preaching on the virgin birth, which is a core belief that we have as Christians, if you go, people don't preach on it. And I don't know if it's a fear of talking about virginity in church or if it's like it's hard to preach on because it's actually an academic endeavor, really. And usually in academics, we don't try to do it from the front of a church service. Preaching is usually to try to inspire, to encourage, to help you, to spur on your growth so that when you leave this place, you're excited about digging into Scripture, you're excited about exploring Scripture, and, and, the, and the things I read out there and see out there and listen to is, is all academic about the virgin birth. Well, the truth is, I think there's a piece of the virgin birth in my mind that preaches really well. And I'm going to give you the most important part of this entire message. It's at the very end of the conclusion. God does the impossible. That is God does the impossible, and we are asked to believe that. God does impossible things over and over and over and over and over again. And one of the most incredible, impossible things which we believe in in the Christian faith is that Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read our statement of faith in the Christian Missionary Alliance, which matches virtually every evangelical denomination out there. It says this, Jesus Christ is the true God and true man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He died upon the cross for the just and the unjust as a substitutionary sacrifice. And all who believe in him are justified on the ground of his shed blood. He arose from the dead according to the scripture. He is now at the right hand of the majesty on high as our great high priest. He will come again and establish his kingdom, which we talked about last week. A core Part of our belief system is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. How many grew up in a more traditional church where you said the Apostles' Creed on a Sunday morning? Anybody do that? Yeah. Or the Nicene Creed on a Sunday morning. It states in both of those creeds that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. As I was studying and struggling, which I'll talk about on Tuesday night, I kept trying to find this reason why not to talk about the virgin birth. And not because I don't believe in it, but just because it's like, what else did we say about it? Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Sweet. Thumbs up. We're all in. We all agree. We don't want to wrestle with it. We're fine. In fact, most Christian denominations believe this. I would argue that like 99.9% say virgin birth. 
Now, how we emphasize Mary within that context is different from all of our... I mean, every denomination emphasizes a little bit, right? So I try to not do it. I try to not talk on it. I try to figure out how to not do it. But here's what happens. If you don't address it at some point as a church family, everything else in your faith slowly begins to break down. Because at the crux of the virgin birth is this idea that God does what? The impossible. At the very, at the very point of the virgin birth, God does the impossible. So here's what happens with the impossible. You are, it's impossible to save you. I have no ability to grant forgiveness of your sins. God grants the forgiveness of your sins. It's impossible to be forgiven. That's a supernatural event. This world was created out of nothing. That's impossible. I have no power to rub my fingers together and create a person. I can't do it. I can't find the dust. Now, I could take enough clay and maybe form a stick figure. That's it. That's the length and the breadth and the depth of my power. I'm out after that. And so are you. Because at the very core of what God does, he does the impossible. And that's, I want you to walk away saying, yes, I believe that. God does the impossible. Because as soon as you start to buy into that, I'm preaching the conclusion already, as soon as you start to buy into that idea that God does the impossible, when you then begin to look at your marriage, you can say, God can do impossible things in my marriage, do possible things that feel impossible right now in my marriage. When you look at your kids, you can say, God can do possible things through an impossible kid right now in my family. When God looks at, when I look at my checkbook, I can say, God can change the way my checkbook looks, and it feels impossible, but it's actually possible because God has his hands on all that we do all the time. And, he, and here's one of the big clues into this idea that, that God does the impossible with the virgin birth. He initiates. He interrupts our mundane, boring, maybe chaotic lives and initiates. Not to make you feel better or perfect or whatever, but to accomplish his purpose. That's exciting. That's exciting that the sovereign God of all creation reaches down and says, would you like to participate with me in advancing the kingdom? And we get this wonderful opportunity to go, I want to be part of the impossible. That's why the virgin birth is exciting. Because if you look at Mary's response, and you look at the whole situation inside of that, I don't know if she got the option to go, nah, (laughs) take this thing out of me. I'm not sure that that happened. But she immediately recognized that God was doing something supernatural, extraordinary, impossible in her. And she got to go, yes, I will worship you and I'll do whatever you ask. I'm going to step into this journey in faith. The virgin birth used to become, it used to be like a reformation on people's belief in the miraculous. It would te- you would test each other on, do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in miracles? 
It also used to be a test of one's view of God and his relationship to the world. Do you believe that God is intimately involved in your daily behavior and activity in your life? Yeah, you do. The virgin birth shows both of those things. See, it is supernatural, not mythical. It's not a pretend thing that happened, that Jesus just arrived on the planet to take care of our sin. God initiated with Mary. I should probably get my notes out. Kind of a little ahead of myself, right? What do you think? So I have this insert. It has some fill in the blanks. I'll try to go with you a little bit. I might just get rolling again, but the virgin birth matters. And I think at the key of this, the virgin birth matters because, because it is God initiating his plan of salvation. And then when you really get into the nitty-gritty, the Bible told us it happened. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I haven't read scripture yet. I've just been doing my own little thing up here. Let's look at the, what the word says. Isaiah 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God with us. Now this verse has like double prophecy meaning. If you really want to get into the text, I don't want to. But there's a lot of stuff happening here with Ahaz. There's actually a fulfillment of this prophecy once, and then it happens again Later on, with who? Jesus. So there's two things that are happening. We're not going to dig into the Ahaz portion. We're going to focus on the Jesus portion. Because why? It's Christmas. So we get to focus on Jesus. There will be a time and a place where we can wrestle down, and maybe I'll throw it into one of those Sunday school classes where you have the time to parse out and look at and not... And it just kind of dissect a section where you can, we can wrestle with what happened here in, in Isaiah 7, 14, where Ahaz is given this promise, and, and God fulfills it and takes care of it and does the thing he said he's going to do. But he also is saying, I'm going to do this other thing. And this is the idea that happens all through Isaiah. There's so many reverberations, echoes, foreshadowing of this man called Jesus, Messiah. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. That's what Isaiah the prophet does over and over and over, is remind the people that, I, that Messiah is coming, the one who is going to bring order back to the chaos, the one who is going to make the lion lay with the lamb, the one who is going to pay the price for our iniquities, the one who's going to restore order to the kingdom. Messiah is coming. And verse 14 of chapter 7 is this foreshadowing of a very, very specific detail about Messiah. And that is, behold, the virgin will be with child. There are so many mythologies based on that one line, behold, the virgin will be with child. The promised one is coming. Neo will be here. If you're a Matrix person. There is the one. This idea of the one. Fast forward from this prophecy of Isaiah over to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 1 of the birth of Jesus. Matthew 1, starting with verse 18. It's interesting how the gospel writers 
kind of include or don't include or what they're trying to accomplish. And this is what's really important about reading and studying Scripture. Every writer inspired by the Holy Spirit is writing for a purpose and for an audience. There is a reason why Matthew includes what he includes in this section I'm going to read. And as we read the Luke section, there's a reason Luke includes the way that he writes it. And you'll see the variance or the difference. Verse 18 says, now, this, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, behold. So whenever you see that word in Scripture, pay attention. What happens next? Behold. I lost my place. I should put my glasses back on. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from what? The Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. And all this took place, and this is very explicit. Matthew's referencing the passage Isaiah very explicitly. Fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Turn over to Luke, and let's look at the difference. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, starting there, verse 26. Welcome back, kids and teens. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, Joseph, Joseph <laughs> of the house David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now listen, just look at the subtle differences on the way that the two gospel writers are, are telling the story. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I don't do a lot of Greek stuff. I can I find that when a, when a pastor, and I'm, I'm judging every pastor out there who does this, when a, when a, when a pastor stands up and starts to, to share Greek and talk about Greek, it's fun in some ways, and people who are literary nerds, it, they, get, they do good things, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of times, it's all about, hey, guys, I'm an authority, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about, you can hear what I have to say here because I know the Greek. But... There is a fun word in here that I think is really interesting. Not for me to say how much I know, but for us to get a, a taste of what Luke is trying to do in the gospel here. This word, 
overshadow is a really fun Greek word that I don't like to say. And I'm not going to, but you can look it up. But it's referring to this glory of the Lord, this this Shekinah glory from Exodus chapter 40, this covering, this presence, this experience and the power and authority of who God is. And Luke includes it to say this is not just a random act. This is God on high coming down and becoming part of your world. And he is going to overshadow you with his glory, with his beauty, with his presence. When you're talked to that way, when you're told that that's going to happen to you, when you have that experience, now I'm going to circle back to the kids. When the kids dance in the aisle, they dance because it's fun to dance, right? But when you can start to connect that to with what God's doing and the Spirit of God touching a kid and they're dancing with joy, leaping for joy, laughing because the Spirit of God is on them, The presence and the power has come down so that there is this covering, this overshadowing of the Spirit of God on the people. And so what I want to see is not just kids dancing for the sake of dancing, right? But I want to see them dancing because the Spirit of God is moving them in a way that is so spectacular that they don't know what else to do. And they're excited to see God moving. And, and it feels weird to stand like this when God's moving. It feels weird to sit on your bottoms when God's moving. It feels weird to not do anything when God's moving. And so, what's Mary's response? It's amazing, and I, we're not going to get into it this morning, but how she responds to what Gabriel says to her, that the presence and the power of God is going to come down and he's going to tabernacle, not with you, but inside of you. He's going to make a home. And then from there, his plan of salvation begins. That's impossible, right? That's an impossible thing. And we just believe it. We're just like, yeah, virgin birth, no problem. We're with it. And then we fight about weird things like speaking in tongues. It doesn't make any sense. We fight about weird things like healing. We fight about weird things like prophesying. We fight about all these bizarre things that we don't need to fight about, but we don't fight at all about God putting a baby inside of a little girl. We're like, yep, thumbs up, I'm good with that. So here's what I want. I want as a family, a church family, to think theologically, to think missionally, and to think in a way that God does the impossible all the time, every day. He has to. Because of all the things that we've seen through Scripture and all the things that we've seen in our own life. For me to stand in front of you right now together in a church family and for you to look at me, it's impossible. My journey, my journey alone should not land me in Casper, Wyoming. I should be a band director in Grand Island, Nebraska. But no, I'm here standing in front of you. I should have died probably 700 times out of stupidity. Right? That's the truth. We all have that story to where right now God has ordained this moment, so we're here together because that's impossible. And if we were to find joy in that idea alone, 
What kind of excitement would we have as God's people living out his mission and thinking about him on a regular basis? Because it's impossible for us to be together. That's what God does every day, every single day. You ever look at your kids' parents and go, how did I get you? Right? You ever spank your kids and go, that felt good. <laughs> but why did you do that? But then you have this sweet moment after you discipline your child where they acknowledge that you're authority and that you love them and they change their behaviors and they become little followers of Jesus because of how you've taught them. That's impossible. Kids are jerks. But they do it all the time. So think about all those little things. That's the Spirit of God active, not just in the big things like the virgin birth, but that's the beginning story of how he initiates and begins to bring his people into redemption, into salvation, into activity, into mission, into family, so that the world changes around us, because that is what he does. Amen? Okay, so here, let's get to the very end. I didn't even fill in the blanks. you want me to do that really quick? Because I've been talking a long time already. Who feels like they need to have their blanks filled in? Raise your hand. Who's going <laughs> to, Joy's like, please, fill in the blanks. So the virgin birth matters. Here we go, blank time. I'm going to run through them. The virgin birth matters because the Bible says so. If you don't believe in it, then what you're saying is that these passages in Matthew, passages in Luke, they don't matter, and they're not true. And then if you begin to say that that's not true, what happens? You have this horrible trickle-down effect to where you end up in this bad place because now you say that Scripture isn't true. So the Bible says so. The virgin birth is a reminder that our salvation is supernatural and only comes from the Lord. I don't have the power. You don't have the power to save one another or save each other. You can stir one another up towards person of Christ and introduce people to Jesus so that they can acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. But that salvation is supernatural. The virgin birth is evidence of God's power and sovereignty over nature. That should be common sense, right? I'm going to pluck a baby, my son Jesus. Now this is the craziest part. I'm just going to die trap again for a second. Jesus in heaven, right? You go read Philippians 2. Jesus is in heaven. And he's fully man, God in heaven. Grown-up Jesus, I think, right? This is like not baby Jesus in heaven or seed Jesus or like little zygote Jesus. This is full Jesus. Jesus in heaven. And God makes him into... That's crazy talk. You all believe it. That's nuts. That's God demonstrating his power over everything everything. I can even make my son, Jesus, who's going to die for the world, into baby Jesus. So who has a tradition of like putting baby Jesus in the manger on, on Christmas morning? Anybody do that? Anybody do that? Like it's hidden somewhere else and then, then you're like, oh Jesus, and we put him in the, we did that, maybe we're the only weird family. But anyway, when you look at your nativity scenes, right, you have this little baby Jesus If you were to look at that and go, that used to be a man in heaven. That's crazy. 
That's God demonstrating his power. The virgin birth is the uniting in the full deity and the full humanity of the person of Jesus Christ. There is a lot of doctrinal stuff in there. But it had to happen. It had to happen. The full man and full God into one person of Jesus. That had to happen. The only way it could come is by the conception of the Holy Spirit. So, there is nothing in in Scripture that teaches us to logically work out the supernatural. There's a faith element to everything that we believe. There's a faith element to the virgin birth. So we spend much of our time trying to figure things out, figuring out how God operates, creating all this system and plan and structure to figure out. And we, you know what we do? it. We do it in our own competencies. We do it in our own abilities, our own flawed, sinful, arrogant competencies to build this structure on how God works. And there is no logical way in which we, as humans, finite creatures, can figure out how God does what God does other than he is God and pretty powerful. So that's why I don't explain the virgin birth. I just want to preach about it and yell about it. So here's the deal. Back to the conclusion, which we started with. But I'm going to say one one last thing. By faith... We all step into our doctrines. We all step into our belief structures and our systems. And we follow Jesus because he's holy, powerful, miraculous, and died for us. We step into that by faith. And the fruit of that, the fruit of that is found in Galatians. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of that is not my ability to tell you what you should believe. The fruit of that is not me explaining some sort of doctrine. The fruit of that is the activity of God's people living out his purpose and calling. So God makes the impossible possible. Question one, do you believe that? Question two, do we say that? You can believe it in your heart, but it feels weird to say that sometimes. It's like it feels weird to dance in the aisle. It's like it feels weird to be a kid again. It's like sometimes it feels weird to pray at the dinner table when you're at Wendy's. I'll never forget my grandma making me pray when I was like eight at a Wendy's. And it made me mad because I was embarrassed. Because my grandma, when she would pray with us in public, she would pray like this. Dear Lord. And everybody in the restaurant would pause, and the, the kid in us was like, oh my goodness, Grandma, you're so crazy. I hope all of you have grandmas like that. But are you willing to say that God does the impossible? Are you willing to say with your life that God does the impossible? Are you willing to live out in a way that where you can show people around you, you can show your neighbors, you can show your coworkers, you can show your kids, you can show your peers, you can show that you live a life that says that God does the impossible. That's hard sometimes. I have the easiest career to do that in. Acknowledge it, right? I can do that every day. At my primary workplace, right here, right now, I'm currently earning my salary right now. I can say God does the impossible. But can you do that? 
Can we inspire and spur and, and charge each other to do that? That God will do the impossible. Can we live that out in our faith every day? We don't have to explain everything away because we're stepping out in faith. It's fun sometimes to explain stuff, but the virgin birth is real. We all thumbs up it. Yeah. But do you live in the, in the reality that God does the impossible?